Matthew chapter 13. We've been studying the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, as we've done so, it seems like uh, studying this chapter, you go kind of back and forth and... Uh, the Lord gives a parable, and then later on He gives an interpretation. He does that a couple of times. But we find that the greatest of all authorities of, on world events, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, is revealing here some key truths about the greatest of all themes, and that is His kingdom rule upon this earth. Now, we've seen here that this chapter contains seven parables, and in these seven parables... Jesus reveals the mysteries of the kingdom. Already we've looked at uh, four of these parables. In the first one, the parable of the four types of soil, which was spoken by our Lord in verses 3 through 9, then explained by Him in verses 18 through 23. We learned a very crucial truth about the commencement of His kingdom upon this earth. Sown by the message of his gospel, the reception of this message reveals the heart of the person who hears it, and that's how it was begun on this earth, through the sowing of his gospel, by the reception on the part of those in whom he produces fruit. Uh, that's how it continues to grow even today. Other kingdoms have uh, been begun on this earth by force of the sword, but Jesus' kingdom, the greatest of all kingdoms, that will ever reign upon this earth was not begun in the way that other kingdoms were begun. Rather, it was begun and is advanced by the preaching and proclaiming of the message of who Jesus is and what he's done. And then we looked at the second parable, the parable of the wheat and the tares, which is spoken by the Lord in verses 24 through 30, then explained by him to the disciples in verses 36 through 43. And in this uh, particular parable, we learn something of the nature of this kingdom that was commenced upon this earth, that it will grow and progress in this world alongside of wickedness and evil. The weeds and the tares of sin, the wickedness of ungodliness, will be eradicated from this earth as his kingdom spreads on it. Actually, it will not be eradicated, but it, uh, they will grow up along with the wheat, and that uh, uh, they will not be eradicated until the end of the age. And at that time, uh, Jesus ten sends forth his angels into the world, and they will serve as reapers. They will separate out of his kingdom all things that offend and them that do iniquity. And the tares will be cast into the furnace of fire, but the righteous will shine forth as the Son of, in the kingdom of the Father. Now, a couple of weeks ago, last time that uh, we uh, were in this chapter, uh, we looked at two more parables, the parable of the grain of mustard, uh, seed and the parable of the leaven. You remember both of these parables had to do with something small growing into something quite large. Uh, Christendom has grown from a small seed planted in the hearts of the disciples and has grown into a great plant. And we noted that it was an abnormal growth because Jesus said it grew into a tree. Mustard plants do not usually grow into trees. They may grow into bushes that are quite large at some times, but they do not grow into trees. And so we noted that this growth was a false growth. And then there are many, many so-called Christians, people who claim to be Christians, but in reality are not. They're professors, but not possessors. Uh, the false teachers, the false Christians have nested in this abnormal mustard seed. 
We also saw the leaven, which is a type of sin in the Bible. Uh, It's something that starts small but permeates the whole lump. And I hope you understand that these are great things that are being revealed to us. Jesus himself said uh, that we who hear them, and uh, we are blessed. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them, as he says in verse 17. But we count it one of the greatest possible privileges that these things have been disclosed to us. Now, in knowing these things, we know more about the destiny of the kingdom of this world than the wisest and most learned uh, earthly scholars and historians and futurists from whom these things have been hidden. And so this morning, we want to first of all look at the kingdom's valued truth. The kingdom's valued truth. Look at verse 34 and 35. Verse 34 says, All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Now here we're told uh, that Jesus... Uh, spoke of all these kingdom truths uh, that he revealed them in parables. Uh, They were stories that were deliberately designed by him to reveal truth in a very careful way. He uses figures of speech. He uses similitudes rather than just straightforward words. Now, people often say, you know, that Jesus was the greatest of all teachers. And I certainly agree that he was. Uh, He was truly the master teacher. Uh, No one else spoke as he spoke or taught as he taught. He literally revealed mysteries to mankind, things that could only be known as God graciously revealed them to mankind. But I feel that we have to maybe qualify the idea of Jesus being a great teacher. Uh, In fact, he was a greatly discriminating teacher. He clearly didn't teach in such a way that everyone could understand what he was saying. His method certainly revealed that he was the greatest teacher, but he also revealed that not everyone who heard him were very good students. Now, as a former teacher, I realized that I had some people that were not very good students. They didn't always listen. As a pastor, uh, 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 for 20-some years now, I know that not everybody's listening to me. No problem. Uh, if uh, that's between you and God, okay? I'm not going to come over there and tap you on the head, as I've threatened to do sometimes, but that's between you and God. If you don't want to listen, you don't want to listen. But Jesus had those who didn't hear very well. You remember what the disciples listening to him teach the multitudes? They were really baffled by his method. I believe uh, they could see the confused looks on many people's faces and, that heard him. And the disciples even came to him in verse 10 and said, Why speakest thou to them in parables? And it was as if they were saying, Lord, if you really want to teach people, why aren't you teaching in why are you teaching in such a mysterious way? Why don't you speak in uh, why do you speak simply in riddles? Shouldn't you be more clear? Shouldn't you be straightforward? Wouldn't people have an easier time understanding you if you didn't speak in parables? Well, here's the remarkable thing that they discovered. 
he truly intended to speak forth the truths of the kingdom, but in doing so, he didn't intend for everyone to understand these truths. He answered the disciples' question of why he spoke in parables. Go back to verse 11. It says, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see their eyes and hear with their ears, they shall understand with their heart and shall be converted, and I shall heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they shall see in your ears, for they shall hear. A grasp of the truths of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the very things that we're hearing in this chapter, is a selective matter. The speaking forth of these things is for everyone, but the understanding of them the true hearing, the true seeing of them is not. And that's why we're told that Jesus spoke these things unto the multitude in parables, and that without a parable he spake not unto them. And what's more, as we find from our passage today, this was in accordance with Scripture. The multitudes to whom Jesus spoke these things, they were Jewish. Jesus was their long-awaited king. It was to them that the kingdom was, first of all, being offered. But it would not be by all of them that this glorious kingdom would be understood or believed or even welcomed. It would only be received by those, not only of the Jewish family, but also people from out of the Gentile world who, as he said, had ears to hear. Jesus, the master teacher, taught in parables to reveal who truly had ears to hear. Now we also know that in one of the parables... The first one, the parable of the sower, the seed didn't always take root, did it? Because of the hearts and the condition of the hearts. Now the Jewish people to whom he spoke in parables should have known this. When Matthew, who himself was a Jew, explained that Jesus spoke only to the multitudes in parables, he said that this was so that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet. And then he quoted, and that's in verse 35, he quoted Psalm 78, verse 2. Psalm 78, if you've ever read the Psalms and come to Psalm 78, you know it's a long psalm. It's not as long as Psalm 119, but it's one of the longer psalms which outlines the history of the Jewish people. It was a psalm that the Jewish people knew well. Uh, It spoke of God's constant grace to them and their persistent hardness of heart toward Him. And it begins with an appeal. In Psalm 78, verse 1, he says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in the parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which ye have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Think of that call. Give ear, incline your ears. That was Jesus' cry to the people. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And here is this Jesus, who is the great hope of the Jewish people, speaking to them in the very manner 
that it was foretold that he would speak to them, that is, in parables. And yet he also makes the appeal to those who hear him to give ear, O my people. Now let me ask you this morning, how do you hear? How do you hear things? You know, sometimes uh, uh, we don't always hear like we should. Sometimes we have a, and the older we grow, uh, the more we grow older, the harder it is to hear sometimes, isn't it? Uh, but do you have ears to hear? Do you tune out when you hear them? Do you fall asleep when they're presented to you? Do you close your ears to them? Or does your heart thrill to hear the words coming from God's Word? You know, the things that Jesus says in these parables are the greatest truths that can be known to man. They reveal the mysteries of the kingdom. And personally, I find that I am growing to be deeply conscious of a great responsibility as I've been speaking to you, uh, to you in this particular uh, section of the Scripture, uh, I take it very seriously. I, I feel a sense of urgency to speak carefully and truthfully. And I believe that's what every preacher should be doing. But it, it becomes more evident as you read and you study this particular passage. The things that God has for us, the things that God has uh, the truths that He has for us. Do we have ears to hear them? Do we hear them? Can we hear them? The fact is that they are deliberately revealed by our Lord in parables because this is so. They thus reveal the heart condition of those who hear them. Now you have to say there's no greater thing about a person, no more decisive fact than how they hear things. A woman's a man's eternal destiny on, is all about how, uh, the, uh, how these things are heard. So given all this, I hope you will personally and from the heart pay attention to Jesus' warning that he gives in Mark chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, when he said, in this, he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear, with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given, for he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. So it's an important fact that we have to begin with. The truths that Jesus speaks to us concerning the kingdom are revealed to us, yes, in parables. And they are available for all of us to hear. But they're not meant for everyone to understand necessarily, unless you have ears to hear. Now, as you continue on, we notice, first of all, as we look at two more parables... The kingdom's valued treasure. Let's go to verse 44. Verse 44, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Now Jesus tells us here that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in a field. And so in telling this story, Jesus is not speaking of anything that would surprise the people that are listening to him. It was common for treasures to be hidden in the fields in Israel. Someone said as we were out on the lake the other day, there's an island out there. And someone said, there's treasure out there. Well, maybe you have a field and maybe you buried. Have you ever buried something? and forgot about it? 
You know, throughout history, uh, in Israel in particular, the land had been subject to countless military raids. It had been it changed hands many, many times. Uh, armies often marched through and they conquered and plundered its people. And you can imagine that people say, well, the army's coming and let's dig a hole and put this treasure in here quick. Let's, let's bury this so we, nobody will find it. These are our valuables. Many times they were forced to leave their homes and, and uh, thinking they would come back perhaps and find their treasures. But as you can imagine, it would have been very dangerous to wander out through the land, through the land with all their possessions or their gold or their jewels or even large sums of money. And so they would bury that, that treasure because it could be confiscated or stolen or lost. And so since there were no banks at that time, there were no safe deposit boxes, people would run and hide things, things that were precious to them. And they would bury them for safekeeping. Sometimes, as it was hoped, the homeowner would return to his home and find the spot where he buried his precious treasure, dig it up, take possession of it again. And if that happened, well, that, that was great. But very often, the owner of the treasures did not return to dig them up. And perhaps they remained captive, and maybe they never returned. Or perhaps they were killed, having no one... Where the, no one to know where their treasure was. And just as often it was up to someone else, maybe a long time afterwards, to accidentally discover the long-forgotten buried treasure somewhere in a field and take possession of it. So Jesus was speaking about something that was a very familiar thing to these people. We're told here that the kingdom of heaven is like that buried treasure hidden in a field. We're told that a man, mostly, most likely a poor man who was working a field, maybe he was out there working the field of someone else, a field that he didn't own. But all at once he made a discovery. He found treasure. He maybe was tilling the ground or digging a ditch, and he discovered a box, and in the box were jewels and gold and precious things. And Jesus tells us that this treasure, when a man hath found, he hideth. It was already hidden, of course. But once he found it, he saw what was inside, and he looked at, uh, this way, and he looked that way, and he saw no one else was looking, and so he buried it where he could find it. And then he kept his discovery a secret. Now you need to know that according to Jewish law, it is permissible in that day for a man to take possession of what he found buried in a field of someone else. If he were able to take it, as his own, he would have done no wrong and would have broken no law. But indeed, if he were a poor man under the employment of another, it may be that he would not have been permitted to walk away with that treasure. There would have been only one way for him to secure that buried treasure for himself, to make sure that it was his. And so the Jesus tells us that after finding the treasure, he hideth it again, and for the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. You can imagine here this man figuring up the value of the land, making an offer to the owner. Imagine the man selling everything he owned, literally everything, scrounging up all the money he could find. Perhaps it made it necessary for this poor man to be homeless for a for a while even. 
Perhaps he had even to go hungry for a day or two. Perhaps he made it necessary for him to suffer some hardship for a time. Perhaps he even sold some things at a loss just so he could sell it as quickly as he could. But the man would have been happy to suffer whatever it cost him. He had one consuming passion, and that was to possess that field. He would have been wise to do so because he knew that if he had that field, he had riches beyond anything that would have cost him to obtain it. He would have gladly given up everything for that field because in gaining that field, he secured himself a treasure that was far greater than the field itself. You might say the man in Jesus' parable would have been a fool not to buy that land. Even though it cost him everything to do so. And Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of heaven is like that hidden treasure. And I want you to notice some things about this hidden treasure. First of all, a treasure hidden in this world. It's a treasure hidden in this world. The people of this world don't look upon it as of any value. All they're concerned about is that What will advance them in their enjoyment of things in this world? Things that are guaranteed to fade away and disappear. You know, John warns us about this in 1 John 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I mean, you just look around today and you see the world is consumed with what? What am I going to (laughs) eat? You know, just a few weeks ago, when the rodeo was in town and 4th of July week, Economart was buzzing. I mean, you couldn't hardly get a cart to get, get your groceries in there. It was just full of people. Everybody was worried about what they're going to eat. Well, you got to eat, right? What what should we drink? People are concerned today about what we're going to wear. And they only see value in that which secures these earthly things themselves. As far as the people of this world are concerned, the pursuit of the kingdom of heaven has nothing to secure these things. But Jesus tells him not to worry about these things. He said in Matthew 6, For after all all these things do Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So there's a treasure that this world has no interest in. It's hidden in this world. Notice the kingdom of heaven is a treasure, indeed a hidden in this world, but it's a treasure of greater value, of greater value. It's worth giving up everything in this world that we have in order to obtain it. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? He asked Jesus what he needed to do to be saved, and he told Jesus that he had kept the law from the time of his youth, and he knew something was missing. He says, what do I I lack? Jesus told him, Jesus uh, said, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
What a contrast that is to the man in this parable of Jesus here. That young man didn't sell all that he had for the joy that Jesus had to offer. In fact, that yet young rich ruler went away sorrowful. He, it cost him more than he was willing to pay. And when Peter saw all this happening, he looked at himself and his fellow disciples and saw that he, they had forsaken all to follow Jesus. And he said to the Lord, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? And you don't fault Peter for asking this, but I think it was a very good question. And Jesus then responds by telling him, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the generation when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold, and shall shall inherit everlasting life. And so the kingdom of Christ is a hidden treasure, uh, but it's a treasure that is have value of far greater than anything it may cost you to seize hold of it. But that leads us to a third thing about this treasure, and it involves a cost. The treasure involves a cost. Jesus told us that out of joy, the man sold everything he had to obtain, uh, had to obtain this treasure. Now this, of course, isn't saying that we can buy our place in the kingdom of heaven. This isn't to say we can buy our salvation. A place in Christ's kingdom is absolutely free to whoever wishes it. But the Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. All that is required for a citizen of Jesus' kingdom is that we place our faith in him. Trust in the sacrifice he made for us on Calvary and then Rise up and follow Him. But it's free as the kingdom is, but it also costs. It costs us everything that we are and that we have. Now Jesus, I believe, has already made this clear when He said, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, the kingdom is freely available, but it isn't cheap. It will cost you everything you have. It may cost you your reputation and status in this world. It may cost you your friends and your family members or your neighbors. It will cost you things that the world considers valuable and worthy. It may cost you your material security. It may cost you your career. It may cost you your peace in this world. It certainly will cost you your favorite sins. It will most certainly cost you your pride. And it will most certainly cost you your self-reliance. It may even cost you your physical life. But whatever it may cost to follow Jesus, the inestimable value of his kingdom and of our place in it is worth whatever price it may, may cost us. You say, that's, that's kind of strange stuff. It's free, but it costs me. No, you can't buy it, but it is with a great cost. Paul, Paul said, 
For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans 8.18 and I believe that this first parable is meant to communicate to us the overwhelming value of the kingdom to us. To call us to pay whatever price it costs to grab hold of our place in it. Now that brings us to a second parable, and its theme is very similar here. The basic message is identical to the first one. There's an overwhelming great value of a kingdom. Its value is so great, in fact, that it's worth whatever it may cost us of the things of this world, but the focus of the second parable is different. Notice the kingdom's valued king. The kingdom's valued king. Now think about what we're told here in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now again, in, this, in the previous parable, we're told the kingdom of heaven was like a thing. It was like a hidden treasure. It was something a man found quite by accident. And here we're told the kingdom of heaven is like a peculiar, or particular kind of man. He's a wealthy, important man. He's a man of means. He's a man who seeks something. Not something that he might discover by accident, but something he deliberately looks for because he already knows its value. Now, if you look over the parables we've studied so far here, usually the kingdom of heaven is compared to a thing. We talked about a mustard seed. We talked about leaven. We talked about treasure hidden in the field. Those are things. In the final parable, in the seventh parable, we're going to see the kingdom of heaven is compared with a net that draws fish from the sea. In only one other of these parables is the kingdom of heaven compared to a man. That's the second one in which we're told the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed a good seed in his field. And later we're told that that man was uh, who that man was. He that soweth the seed is the son of man. And so again we're told here the kingdom of heaven is like a man. It's like a merchant man. And I suggest to you the Lord Jesus is being spoken up of in this parable as well. Now some have suggested that the merchant man is, the, is a sinner and that pearl, the pearl is salvation. Yet sinners do not seek salvation. Did you know that? People out there aren't looking for Jesus. They're looking for anything but Jesus. Well, they may be looking for something, but they don't know what they're looking for. But the kingdom is embodied in Him. He is the King. Jesus Christ. And so I believe that He is meant to be understood by us as the merchant who seeks the beautiful pearls. Now, if you think about a pearl and how it's formed, it begins with a grain of sand inside a sea creature called an oyster. And the response of this living organism is to send out a secretion that coats over this foreign matter, and the fluid builds up until a pearl is formed. It's a pearl, not a ruby, it's not a diamond, it's a beautiful white pearl. And a pearl is like no other gem. You cannot cut a pearl to make it more valuable. And so Christ came to this earth as a merchant man. 
He saw man in his sin. He took man's sin and he bore it in his own body. Our sin was the intrusion upon him. And it was a foreign matter. And he, has made, he was made sin for us. Notice the response of Christ to the sinner. He puts around us his own righteousness. As it says in Ephesians, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And think of what it was that Lord Jesus gave in order to obtain his kingdom. Paul tells us something of the price that Jesus paid when he wrote that he, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the death, even the death of the cross. And what human words could possibly express what it cost Jesus to obtain his kingdom? But his having paid that price, Paul goes on to say this about him, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of the things of heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, the, of God the Father. The Bible tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And what was the joy that was set before him? It was the joy of having us in glory with him. It was in order to obtain us that he paid a great price so that we might be sharers with him in the glories of kingdom. The Bible tells us, For we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, and yet through His poverty might be rich. Listen, the prospect of glorifying us and making us sharers with Him in the, uh, with, in the rich inheritance of the kingdom was the thing that motivated the Savior to give His all. And before he went to the cross, he prayed for us and said, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me more than the foundation of the world. And in order to obtain what he desired above all else, he gave everything. He paid it all. And what Jesus died to bring about for himself will be accomplished. We can affirm this as Paul, uh, the, the Apostle Jude said, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I want you to just to look at these two parables and the unique focus that they bring together. Put them together. They point us to the overwhelming value of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus saw its value and he gave everything to obtain it and to secure our place in it with him. And I trust that we'll respond even as Paul responded. Paul said, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. 
but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the valued king. He paid it all. You say, to be in the kingdom, it's free. But there was a great price that needed to be paid, and it was paid by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word and your precious truth before us this morning, and we know that we do not deserve that which you've offered and that which you've paid for. We thank you for the fact that Jesus Christ gave his all, his life, on the Calvary's cross that we might have life eternal. And Lord, I pray that each one here this morning has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that your word will work in our hearts, help us to appreciate what you've done for us, but help us to be faithful to the word of God, even as we go about our daily lives. Help us not just be seeking the pleasures of this world, but help us to be faithfully obedient to your word letting others know of what Jesus Christ has done for them. As we heard the choir sing this morning, there's a harvest that is white. And I trust, Lord, that we'll be willing to say, here am I, Lord, send me. Thank you again for your word this morning. If it's spoken to the hearts of folks this morning, we pray, Lord, that they'll make right decisions for you. Lord, bless as we close this service in Jesus' name. Amen.